0: Oh, the jungle VIP, i reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Hi-ho, and welcome, so you're listening to Mouse to Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things I'm Disney. Tired, I'm, I'm Chris Bowersox.
1: I'm Kyle Skinner.
0: And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who, or who what, is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at mouse madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we have some unfinished business to do. And to help us finish that unfinished business, we've got Taylor back. What's hey, on, Tay?
2: what's up,
0: everybody? Oh, hey, Tay. <laughs> it's,
1: it's been a week. Have you been able to kind of sit on our last discussion and really think about this final four?
0: Yeah,
2: I feel like we are in a really good place I feel like our top four is actually the top four, so we are in agreement with the people and the balloons.
1: (laughs) That we are. That we are. All right, Chris, let's hop into our spoonful of sugar. This week, I am throwing it back to a drink that I previously did. It is the Neverland tea. It is Disney's version of the iced tea. I won't hop into it too much, but it is... Half an ounce of vodka, half an ounce of gin, half an ounce of rum, half an ounce of peach schnapps. Uh, Add a little bit of Midori in there and you have a Neverland tea. It's potent. It's great. Uh, You can find it at the Lamplight Lounge, actually. So uh, I don't know if it's on the menu. It's a holdover from the Cove Bar years, but um, you can ask for it and they're going to give it to you. And it's delicious. Highly recommend. Uh, Chris, what are you drinking today?
0: Well, last week I did Bush Gardens Food and Wine Festival. This week I'm doing Disney's California Adventure Food and Wine Festival. And I also went with a tea drink. It's the California Tea Cocktail, which comes in at $13 at the Food and Wine Fest. It's got a refreshing blend of berry vodka and brewed green tea with pineapple and orange juices served over ice. If I was going to describe this cocktail in one word, it would be refreshing it's surprisingly very light tasting and doesn't really taste super sugary even with pineapple and orange juice and uh i'm a fan i'm a fan of the green tea cocktail honestly um taylor what are you sipping on i'm guessing tea
2: you're correct we're all sipping on tea maybe it's a mad tea party but this time mine's a little bit different it's a kombucha tea And, you know, it's the Indiana Jones 25th anniversary. It's also the 25th anniversary of GT's Kombucha. And they came out. This is not sponsored, but I just have to say it because it's amazing. (laughs) This blue kombucha called Sacred Life. But I'm going to call it Indiana Jones and the Forbidden Temple of Sacred Kombucha. And you guys really should try it. It's really good. It's ginger, coconut water and oh gosh it's like
0: unreal that being said mouse madness is open to paid partnerships so if any uh, kombucha or tea companies out there like to work with us please send us an email at com. okay kyle let's get into it down to our final four this is the first time in mouse madness history we've got our top four seeds in the final four
1: it's crazy it's the one two three four matchups here it's <laughs> we we always thought it would happen uh, But it's taken what 25 episodes and it's finally come true. So I'm excited This is gonna be a, a great episode of matchups here. And so let's hop right into it We have number one Peter Pan's flight versus number four Matterhorn bobsleds Last episode I talked a lot about immersion and I talked about how the Matterhorn took a concept that was literally just a mountain and a coaster And they made an entire story out of it. There's a lot of history involved in the Matterhorn. Uh, The area around it used to be essentially just a dirt hill um, that was excavated from storybook canal uh, boats. It was... uh, They named it, like, Holiday Land, Holiday Hill. It was just going to be this kind of picnic park part of uh, of Disneyland. And they turn it into something pretty magnificent. It's this mountain that looks large because of forced perspective, but it really isn't. It's just over like 100 feet tall to meet the uh, the fly codes of Anaheim when it was first built. So they didn't have to put a red dot on top of it, essentially. Uh, it's, like we said last episode, the first tubular coaster uh, for the 60th anniversary back in 2015 they added uh, a whole new story element to it with the yeti uh on the side of the tracks as you're ascending up the mountain that looks at you and roars through and the uh, man i remember the first time i went on it i think we were working at the summer camp that we met at and i had come back and told you just what an amazing experience that effect was the roar and the sound system that they have in that part is just, it shakes the entire track and the, your entire body. Really immerses yourself in this incredible attraction. Like I brought up with uh, Alice in Wonderland, this is another one of those really fun rides that go like inside and outside. You have incredible views of the entire park when you're on this ride. There's two tracks, so there's two similar but very different experiences. People say that the left track is a little bit more intense than the right. I don't know that I've ever necessarily noticed. Maybe you'll bring this up in your discussion. But it's just such a great coaster. It's a coaster that involves story, and when it comes to Disney, story is everything. It really is. And so if they can take a coaster and turn it into this storytelling experience that's that's elite disneyness that is what they do best is tell stories and they take something that is across the world known which is a coaster and they make it really they make it their own over on uh, peter pan's side this is like in my opinion the dark ride to end all dark rides this is what dark rides aspire to be within the disney world right like from park to park you talk about dark rides Peter Pan, especially with its 50th refurb, just became an experience that is unlike any other. Not only are you in a uh, vehicle that is floating and has been that way since its opening, but they have kept the kind of kitschiness of the ride and then updated it with fantastic technology that really makes you immersed in this in this experience, you're floating over over London. You can see the lights of the cars uh, riding by as you're flying over it. The show-stopping scene as you reach Neverland is amazing. You feel like you're really floating through the sky because there are lights that emulate stars all around you. It's an experience unlike any other. And it's a, it's a, a ride vehicle that is different from not only every other Disney dark ride but really from any other dark ride across the theme park industry. I think that in this matchup, the fact that <laughs> the fact that people really want to experience this attraction so much so that they will quite literally run to it as we brought up last episode and that it really it, it It's one of the few rides in the entire park that really transports you to this new land, in my opinion. Besides like Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean, it really transports you in this dark ride where you don't feel like you're just necessarily on a carnival ride that's just on a track. You feel like you are floating over London, over Neverland, over Peter Pan's fight with Captain Hook. I'm moving Peter Pan's flight on to the finals.
0: I think this one is a pick your poison type matchup where do you want to go with a dark ride or do you want to go with the themed roller coaster both of these attractions do what they set out to do the best they could possibly do it right Matterhorn is one of the best themed roller coasters in the world I don't think they can make a lot of improvements in that theming area but they really could improve a lot I think on the actual ride track It's got kind of a terrain coaster feel, and it can be a little bit rough. Uh, They recently changed the seating arrangement. Used to be those quirky cuddle seats, which always was really awkward for me. Like, if I was in a party of, like, six with, like, friends from school, and I didn't know, like, should I big spoon someone i'm not like really comfortable with should i like be funny and like little spoon someone i'm not really comfortable with should we just like all get our own ride cars and then you're like loading in a really inefficient way and shipping out four riders in an eight rider capacity vehicle that was always the strangest conversation to have in like (laughs) like minute before you're about to board the matterhorn so i really like the improvements they made on the train itself it feels more safe but I think the Matterhorn could stand to get a retrack. They constantly are doing refurbs on it. I think it has some foundation issues because it was built on basically a pile of dirt. Uh, so I think there's some room for improvement in that department on Matterhorn. But, you know, other than that, it does what it's supposed to do extremely well. When we were talking California Adventure, We had Radiator Springs Racers versus the Incredicoaster, and the argument became which one of these rides is better representative of what California Adventure set out to do. Well, Radiator Springs Racers might be, quote-unquote, the better ride or the ride I want to ride on more. Incredicoaster, I think, is better for the California Adventure brand. I think in this situation, do you go themed roller coaster or do you go themed dark ride to represent what the best fantasy land attraction is. For me, I think dark rides are really what makes this section of the park great. A nice, neat, well themed attraction that occupies a really small space is what I think of when I think Fantasyland. And Peter Pan checks all of those boxes and while it's not my favorite dark ride, I do think it's probably the best dark ride. So, yeah, I also am going to advance Peter Pan to the finals. Don't want to do it. I would probably choose Matterhorn if I was deciding which one to ride on myself. But, you know, we're doing this for the people. So I'm going with Peter Pan. Taylor, do you agree with that?
2: I agree. I agree basically fully with Chris this time. I would pick Matterhorn myself. But having ridden it, I do think that the seat updates help. But I still think it's the devil's chiropractor. Like you will leave that ride with an adjustment that you were not asking for. It is Fantasyland's only thrill ride. Um, I don't really think Fantasyland is about thrill thrill rides. Um, and then you've got the whole left twix, right twix debate with the um, the lines. So, yeah, unfortunately, Peter Pan is definitely not my favorite Dark Ride, um, but it's going to move on.
0: So who will Peter Pan meet in the finals? Will it be the number two seed, It's a Small World, or the number three seed, Mad Tea Party? Now, I argued against the Mad Tea Party in the last round when it went up against Dark Ride, and here it is going up against... I don't even know what you'd call it a Small World. It's a boat ride. It's not really a flume ride because there are no drops or changes in elevation. It It's basically a dark ride on water. I think its operations cannot be beat. Uh, but Mad Tea Party, for the most part, is pretty efficient as well. Small World exists kind of in its own spot off in the corner. So if you were going to be like, oh, Fantasyland is like that little small area... In between like where the parade route is and the Big Thunder Mountain Trail is and the castle is, like it's just like that little square right there. The Mad Tea Party would fit in there and small worlds kind of off on its own. Like you don't necessarily feel like you're in fantasy land when you're approaching it's a small world. So I would dock points for that. But you know, I said it last episode the messaging and this attraction and the immersion and you know you really lose your sense of reality when you go through that tunnel as you're entering the show building of it's a small world uh it's really an environment and an atmosphere and a feeling that's not replicated in a whole lot of other places at disneyland or in any other theme park mad tea party i get it i get that the ambiance is cool at daytime and at nighttime. Love the little quirky soundtrack that it's got going, but it's just a flat top spinner. It's just, I don't know. It's a little bit too primal for me, and I don't think it's that hallmark of theming and immersion that Disney is known for, especially not what Fantasyland's known for. So I'm advancing it to Small World to the finals.
1: This matchup is extremely hard for me because I really enjoy It's a Small World and the history of it. Big I'm a big Disney history guy. I read a lot of books on Disney history from the parks to animation. I just I go to the Walt Disney Family Museum. It's it's a big part of my fandom. And from Rolly Crump's design of the facade to Mary Blair's influence uh, within the attraction <clears throat> to the 1964 World's Fair where it debuted, it's an iconic attraction. It's the best part of the movie Tomorrowland, and it happens in the first couple of minutes of that movie. And you're like, oh, this movie's going to be great. And then it turns out, in my opinion, to not be that great. Um, but it's it's just, it's known. The song is known to everyone. Uh, it's... It's a staple of Disney parks across the world. It's—I'm pretty sure in every single one. Uh, I could be completely wrong, but I'm almost certain that it's in every single one. So much so that the—it's uh, a—a a fact, maybe that it's a small world. The theme song never stops playing across the world. It's always playing as we live now, which is interesting. It Just—it's—it's it's just a staple of Disney. I'm not going. It's a small world, Chris i'm not going as a small world my jaw just hit the floor i just when i direct people to go do things it's a small world is never on my list only because i think that people already dismiss it and the fact that the mad tea party's experience and immersion is just so great it's a small world when you're on those boats it's different in disney world it's better in disney world in my opinion but when at Disneyland, you're in a flume and you you can literally see the carpet that these uh, attraction elements are sitting on. Like they, you're separated from the attraction. The, that immersion is just broken immediately for me. Mad Tea Party, you are at this tea party. you are involved in this tea party. The music sets you in this tea party during the day. It's chaotic. At night, it's romantic. I think that it's a two experience ride. I think it's it's just a staple of Disney parks It's used more often in marketing materials than Small World is these days. It's an Instagrammable place that people take photos and you know they're at Disneyland because they are in a teacup. I just think that for what a simple ride Mad Tea Party is, Disney took it to another level and really made it special. And they put it next to Alice in Wonderland, and they made it immersive, and they added ambiance both during the day and night. And I think that's just quintessential Disney. I'm moving Mad Tea Party on in this Best Fantasyland Attraction bracket. Taylor, you are breaking the tie.
2: Woo! I love this! Okay, you guys know I love tea. I just love it so much in the songs. It's so good. It's like perfectly themed. It sounds like your tea is boiling and and it's just ready to be poured. So I love, love, love that. Um, Mad Tea Party is iconic. I know I said the word. Take a drink. But um, (laughs) it's a must do. You have to do Mad Tea Party. I agree. It's Instagrammable. But I have two words. Mad Tea Party is Instagrammable. But you know what? Kourtney Kardashian took an Instagram pic in front of It's a Small World last holiday season. And then when I went to Small World, I'm pretty sure everyone was taking pics in front of It's a Small World. If it's good enough for Kourtney Kardashian, it's good enough for the rest of the world. It's a Small World is a juggernaut. It seems removed from Fantasyland because it's its own thing. It's it's amazing. It doesn't need to be part of Fantasyland. It's it's a small world land. I totally get what Kyle's saying about the carpet and I'm thinking maybe they can like, put some plants there for Disneyland. But It's a Small World is the perfect ride for all ages. You're taking babies on it. You're taking teenagers. You're taking grandparents. It's perfect. And the song is kind of annoying. But when you get off the ride you kind of feel satisfied you're like i got exactly what i needed like i don't need a little bit more and it's a long ride so you just feel so satisfied after you get off i love water rides i love the smell of theme park water and i just i love small world so i'm sorry kyle i think this is where we stop riding together i'm gonna choose <laughs> it's a small world
0: wow that took a turn but i will Uh, say
2: the mad tea party at disneyland is way better than the one at walt disney world because walt disney world is like under a tent like it's so cheap looking
0: well it has to because of the weather it doesn't rain in southern california it rains every day but then
2: also even the design of the cups at disneyland are prettier like i went to walt disney world and you know how they have the tea cups mugs they're yeah, all yeah. the Walt Disney World like theming and I like the ones at Disneyland better I'm like I'm not gonna buy that mug I like the Disneyland <laughs> ones and also I hate when you're trying to get on the tea party and like you guys said earlier it's like the Hunger Games trying to get to the pink one and it's like who's gonna get there first and, and my sister wants the pink one but it's like I would settle for whatever color I don't really care so it's like I don't know and they slowed it down, did you know? They don't let it spin as fast as it used to. It is iconic. I love tea and I love that whole Alice Land, but It's a Small World is just quintessential.
1: Folks, we have a true matchup on our hands here. We have number 1 Peter Pan's Fight. First number 2 It's a Small World in the finals of the best Fantasyland attraction Chris on my opinion we've this these are the two probably best attractions in Fantasyland um but you know what I'm going to do I'm going to go ahead and let you start off our discussion.
0: Ooh. All right, I'll take the ball first. Now, I thought for a second Taylor was going with Mad Tea Party and this was going to be a really easy decision for me. I would have gone Peter Pan every single day over the Mad Tea Party. But Now it's a little bit trickier. That is an interesting argument that Small World doesn't need to be close to that castle courtyard area. Because it's its own beast and it creates its own atmosphere just in proximity to the structure. I I would actually agree with that take. It's also right by the parade corridor. So you've got people watching from there. It's also near where the fireworks set off. So if you wanted to watch the nighttime fireworks, The Small World is a very underrated place to watch it. I know Kyle said that they don't use it The Small World a lot in marketing materials, and that's because they don't have to. That's because everyone knows that this ride exists. You could take a stranger off the street and be like, hey, name a ride at a Disney park. I have a feeling not a lot of them are gonna go, oh yeah, Peter Pan ride, right? It's like, oh. It's that one where there's all those talking dolls and they just sing at you and it's really creepy and annoying. This ride, its reputation precedes itself. It's amazing. But, you know, we're talking about like creating a Disney Essentials playlist for rides that you must ride. I'm not sure I would put It's a Small World above Peter Pan. I think both of them are on that playlist. But if we're talking about, yeah, you could miss It's a Small World, or, yeah, you could miss Peter Pan, I would say you can't miss Peter Pan if you can get on it, that is. And, you know, like, that's a big if. And I think that's something that we need to factor into this conversation a little bit. It's not an easy ride to get on. But if we're talking about the Fantasyland experience, it's about... Going into a make believe world and watching a land of fantasy become reality. And this <laughs> depiction of world cultures existing together in harmony is a fantasy, right? That's not how it is in real life. And so I, I could see how you could make the argument that yes, that ride does create a fantasy fairy tale world for you to work your way through, but Peter Pan does a much better job of creating a sense of magic and fairy tale and disbelief and being able to step into that alternate reality. It really, really feels special. Small World, there's so, so, so much to look at. You could ride that ride dozens of times through and notice something completely different. This ride did a really good job of introducing disney characters into it in a way that wasn't obnoxious i still don't think johnny depp and jack sparrow belong in the pirates of the caribbean ride i was afraid when i heard they were going to put disney characters in it's a small world but they do a really good job that makes it kind of feel more like an easter egg hunt and if someone was riding for the first time they might not even notice that there was an alice in the uk section of the ride so i think it pulls that off really well Peter Pan, also an ultra sensory overload experience. So much cool, cool, cool lighting, mirror effects when you're, you know, flying through the stars in your little ship. I can say confidently that one of my first memories as a human being was riding Peter Pan. Something about just all of the lights and the sounds like stimulated my brain in that moment as like a little child. So I think that's really cool. Again, at the end of the day, it's like, do we go with a classic dark ride or do we go with, you know, a flume ride that's kind of outside of the, you know, footprint, the shadow of the Sleeping Beauty's castle? I really was hoping Peter Pan wasn't going to make it this far because I kind of have a hard time arguing for it just because, like I said, it's so annoying to get on. But once you are on it, I do think that it's kind of in a league of its own and it's such an elite form of entertainment. And if we're talking about a ride that represents Fantasyland, I would feel more confident saying that Peter Pan represents Fantasyland over It's a Small World. So I really didn't want to do it when I started this bracket, but I'm going to go ahead and award the number one seed, Peter Pan's Flight, with the best Fantasyland attraction title.
1: Oh, boy. What it comes down to for me is the, the pure immersion factor here. And, I mean, as iconic as It's a Small World is, and I agree with you, Chris, the way that they fit in the Disney characters recently is seamless, in my opinion. I remember when people were up in arms about them adding IP to It's a Small World as if IP wasn't already a thing within Disney parks. It's always been, since day one, it's always been. And they were able to do it so tastefully, that it became as you said it's like a game it's so fun to like find the disney character in their place in their element within it's a small world it it was the flume ride to begin all flume rides as far as dark rides go you have after that pirates of the caribbean becomes a ride instead of a walkthrough right the in the same year haunted mansion becomes a ride instead of a walkthrough because of the innovations from the 1964 World's Fair, which Small World and the People Mo- Mover debuted, like this is a turning point not only in Disney history but in theme park history, and it's amazing. It's very, it's it's the, our favorite word. It's iconic. Peter it's Your can, favorite
0: word, not mine.
1: Uh, it, it's it's a word. I prefer that we use
0: historically a lot. significant.
1: Uh, iconic is easier to say. When you're sipping on this Neverland tea. But as you brought up Chris. Peter Pan's Flight is the quintessential Disney dark ride. And it is what Fantasyland embodies. It removes you from the real world. It puts you into a place of fantasy. It makes you forget about the 45 minute line that you just stood in. Uh, some of our friends have gotten off of that ride and cried because of how short it was after sitting in such a long ride. So we know that the line's long, but I think the payoff is significant. I think that you are truly transported, and it's one of the few Fantasyland rides where you're like, how did they even think of this? How did they make this happen? How did this illusion come about? And you're riding through, and you're you're truly floating through the air. It is able to maneuver around some of the more uh, trivial parts of Peter Pan when it comes to like race and Indians and that kind of stuff, which is very significant on Disney's part to like be able to maintain the story and then <laughs> remove the racist depiction of Native Americans, yeah. right? It's I, it, it, it it's just. A ride that is really top tier in theme park uh, history, in the theme park landscape. I think that Peter Pan is also the best Fantasyland attraction, which means that we are not ending this episode on a tie break. Let's go ahead, before we throw it to Taylor, and clap it out. We found our best Fantasyland attraction. I know you can't see her, but... Taylor's face says otherwise. Taylor, are you upset that we have just crowned Peter Pan as the best Fantasyland attraction?
2: I'm leaving. <laughs> Why did I agree to do this? Oh, no. This is not right at World? all. This is not right at all. I would choose Small World. Why? Um, okay. So I've been saying this whole episode kind of Peter Pan's flight is not my favorite. And I knew it was going to make it far, so I was like, oh, I'll just save it for, like, the end tiebreaker. But you guys, I didn't get to do it. I played it all wrong. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, everyone loves Peter Pan's Flight, but honestly, I don't get the hype. First of all, it's the worst line weight. not only time-wise, but also it's a Petri dish for bacteria and germs. You have, like these little chain link fences and you look to your right and this kid has his mouth like on the chain link fence, like staring at you. And then on your left, this other kid's sneezing into your popcorn. Like it's so claustrophobic <sighs> and it's the worst line weight. I hate it so much. I will say it's really cool how they did the track on top for the boats. That's awesome. And that's unique. But I'll say that those little maps that you guys think are showstoppers are not unique. And I could go to Michael's and make that myself as well.
1: Oh, my gosh. What's with you and the Michaels? Michael's? argument? I'm
2: crafty. I should have been in crafts. <laughs> <laughs> but um, flying over the city, I feel like I'm just flying. Or, no, not even flying. I feel like I walked into a preschool and I'm on one of those train set rugs, you know? And I'm just like, it's the same thing. It's like I'm looking at a little miniature. I don't feel like I'm actually flying. Same with the Neverland volcano map. It just looks like I'm at a sixth grade science fair looking at some kid's volcano. Like walking around it. Like, okay. I'll say like the second half. I like the the beginning. And I like the fairy lights that they added. I think that those look really good. Um, but to me, those two map scenes make it look so tacky and arts and craftsy. And also the transitions between the rooms is so rough. Like you're turning the corner on your boat and you can see like into both rooms. It's kind of like this thin piece of cardboard. It kind of reminds me of like a homemade haunted house, like in someone's garage. It's just like this thin piece of cardboard separating the two rooms. And I think that's really rough. And then the music, while it's so catchy, it's like, okay, I get it. We're flying, you know? It's like, switch it up a little bit.
0: (laughs) I would love to see you design your own Peter Pan attraction. Because I think that's what you're getting at here.
2: I could. I think what happened was... I didn't grow up riding this ride because my parents were like, we're not waiting in line for that. So the first time I rode it was when I was older and I was like, and I, people hype it up. They're like, this is the best ride. Like it's unlike anything other. So I'm, I'm standing in the 45 minute wait line, you know, getting sneezed on and I'm like, I can't wait for this ride. And then I got off the ride and I was like, really? That's the best. Like that was trash. Whereas Small World is a ride that I feel like I need to go on every single time that I go there. It has such a good message, it makes me so happy, and I just love Small World so much. I don't know, you guys, it's really sad for me. (laughs) This is where I leave both of you guys at the park and I'm (laughs) running to Small
0: World.
1: (laughs) Chris and I are in Peter Pan while you're on Small World.
0: All right, folks. Mouse Madness has spoken. The number one seed walks away with the crown for the first time ever. But we can't dwell on it. We've got another bracket coming up. We've already picked what it is. It's going to be really, really great. We're going into a whole different galaxy next week on Mouse Madness. But until then, we want to say thank you for listening. We want to say thank you to Taylor for joining us, even though it got kind of messy in places. If you want to get a hold of us, got a rebuttal. Want to potentially be a co host or tiebreaker judge? You can email us at podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet along with us at pod You can chat with us in Discord as always. Until then, we hope you live happily ever after.